I want to encourage you guys today. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Psalm 22. Now, Psalm 22, it starts with feelings. (laughs) These are David's feelings. And his feelings turn into a song. And his song is a prophecy. And the prophecy is a story. So there's multi-layers to the word of God. I'm not so sure that David had any idea exactly the full implications of this song that he was writing. And so what that means for us is sometimes in the midst of our pain, a song comes out. Sometimes in the midst of our pain, a prayer comes out. Sometimes in the midst of our own pain, an act of kindness or generosity comes out. And I think sometimes we're not aware of the implications of us being faithful to God and doing what he put in front of us to do or writing what he put in our heart or, you know, speaking a word of encouragement to someone. But in Psalm 22, the whole entire gospel is there. The crucifixion, the resurrection, and and the ascension, which would be the kingdom, which would be seated on the throne. And so in Psalm 22... There's, there are some things that we want to check out today. And so I'm going to read that whole psalm quickly. And then I'm going to just make some comments about it. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season... I am not silent, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, they trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while I was on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like raging and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look at me and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me, O my strength. Hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. 
nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard, My praises shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him. Even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born. That he has done this. So the psalm, this is a psalm of David. It's a song. And in it there's a prayer, there's a, there's a complaint, there's a prayer, and then there's thanksgiving. There's an answer. And so that's, that's many times how our prayers go. There's a complaint, there's a request, and there's an answer. And there's a gap of time in which this takes place. And so this is how David is feeling. I'm not sure if David sat down on the harp or whatever stringed instrument he wrote this on and knew exactly how deeply messianic his song was. He was just writing about how he was feeling. David did not hang on a tree. In fact, the crucifixion did not even come until the Roman Empire. So you're talking about 1,500 years into the future. He's, He's seeing something that doesn't even yet exist. That, that's, see, intimacy with Jesus allows us in, in, to, to enter into prophetic things, prophetic experiences. We get to see into the future. And so he writes this song from a place of pain, from a place of brokenness, from a place of feeling as if God has forsaken him. Not knowing that there's someone that God actually will forsake. And it's not him. And so you have Jesus in Matthew 27 hanging on a tree and he says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quotes the song of his great, 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 great grandfather and says this is what this is about. Let let me interpret Psalm 22 for you from the cross. Let me give you a Bible lesson. (laughs) And so he's hanging there and he says these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those are the most painful words that have ever went into the ears of God. The Father's only Son, His one and only begotten Son, the one who He had perfect fellowship with from eternity to eternity, that fellowship was about to be broken. Because He was going to bear our sins, which means He would have to remove His face from His Son. Because He became sin that we would become the righteousness of God in Him. In other words, he became sin and took what we deserve so that we would get what he deserved. That's grace. That's goodness. But, but it's real, though. It's, 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 it, it happened. It's not just David's feelings. It's not just a prophecy about something that will happen. It's something that did happen. And because it did happen, something is happening. See, the gospel, N.T. Wright says it this way. The gospel is not good advice. It's good news. 
What does that mean? It means that something has happened, which means something is happening, which means something will happen. And so this, this song is prophetic in nature, but now it's a, tro- it's a story. It's a true story. It's something that has happened, and it's, it's something that is also is happening. And so let's continue. Watch, watch this. It's very, very interesting. Um, in verse... In verse 3, it says this, that God is enthroned in the praises of his people. And what does that mean? God comes to live in the environment of praise and thanksgiving. David is, I don't know if you realize this, but David is actually singing to himself. (laughs) He's talking to himself. I don't know if if you're, he's talking to himself with a tune. Do you think that God knows? Do you think that God knows that he dwells in the praises of his people? Do you think God needs to be reminded? <laughs> right? No. No. He's talking to himself. He's singing to himself because he himself is at a low point. He's feeling forsaken. And then he reminds himself of why he's sitting on that instrument and why he's writing a song in the first place. Because God inhabits the praises of his people. And then he continues to talk about his feelings, and he says this, but I am a worm. And this is how David is feeling, but this David's feelings become Jesus' experience. I don't, I don't, I, are you tracking with me? David is feeling low, and he writes a song. That song is prophetic about what Jesus will go through. So what David is feeling is not his reality, it's his feelings. But his song becomes Jesus' reality. Hallelujah. So it wouldn't have to be our reality. Are you, yeah. But he says this, I am a worm. That's not a positive thing, and I wouldn't repeat that about yourself. But what's fascinating about this worm is the dye that they get from this worm is the dye that they use to make the curtains in the temple red. Pretty interesting. I just thought I'd share that. All right. All those that ridicule me, and then he goes on to say, you took me out of my mother's womb. Be not far from me. Many bulls have surrounded me. And then he says in verse 14, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. There was a prophecy about the Messiah that none of his bones would be broken. And so from, his, from the virgin birth to his sinless life to him giving his life from the tree to his body, his physical human body not seeing corruption because after the body starts to decompose immediately, it takes a couple of days, but on the third day it would already have been decomposing. And so when the scripture says that you will not allow his body to see corruption, the word of God is literally holding Jesus' physical body together so it doesn't deteriorate. This is facts. Historical facts. Because there's two intelligent people and they think his, his tomb is here and another group of people who are really smart think his, he's over here and he's not in either tomb. I don't know if you know this, but in Syria where ISIS has gone mad killing and butchering people, the Syrian government gives Christians three days off for Easter. 
because historically speaking, the resurrection is uncontested. That's why it's 2016 today. He's the most central figure of human history. His life and it splits time itself in half. Amen. Right? Amen. And so he's hanging there and he's stretched out so bad that all of his bones are out of place. And so what this causes to happen is his heart to be ruptured. So, have you ever had a water balloon? You ever see two kids, and, and they're pulling, they're, they, they're both trying to grab it, and it, it, it goes, right? That is the physical tension that was on his literal body as he hung on a tree. And what Rome would usually do, their tradition was, they would go and they would break the legs of the person who was crucified so they would speed up their death so that they would suffocate. And after they break the legs, they, they would suffocate very quickly. Basically, it would, it would be over after that. When they go to him to do that, he had already given his life. His life wasn't taken, it was given. Jesus wasn't killed, he was crucified, but he gave his life. Right, And so it's important to understand that everything about his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, it's all completely supernatural. Anytime the gospel ceases to be supernatural, it's not the gospel. All right, let's continue. Um, my strength is dried up. And then he talks about, they pierced my hands and my feet. This was not a Hebrew tradition. This was not something Hebrews did. This, this was, you have to remember, David is writing a song more than 1,500 years in the future. And he's seeing things that are not a part of his context or his reality. And I want to propose to you why. In Ephesians 1, it says that God predestined us to be in him before the world began. So look at David. David is seeing the cross from being in Jesus. That's why he's talking in first person. What did Paul say? I have been crucified with Christ. Amen. Right? So this is really like prophetic and theological, which you hardly ever have those two together. <laughs> if you've been in church for any amount of time, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's prophetic and it makes sense. Is that possible? Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> Very once in a while, but... And, and so you have this, Jesus is stretched out, Jesus is broken, Jesus is poured out, and David is seeing it. But it's not the end of the story. He talks about how they, they gambled for his garments. Verse 22, verse 21, it says, but you have answered me. What is that talking about? It's talking about the resurrection. Jesus only called John the revelator brother, brethren, before he was raised from the dead. The rest of the disciples, he did not call them his brethren until he was raised from the dead. So this is resurrection talk. And so this is speaking that God answered him. It says, I will declare your uh, name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. This is speaking of the resurrection where Jesus will declare his name to his people. And where did he, where did he appear? He appeared in the midst of them. 
Even the word declared has meaning there. Romans 1, 4, it says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the Spirit of holiness that raised him from the dead. Romans 1, 4. The word declared there is a powerful word. It's the word in Greek, horizon. It's where we get the word horizon. The real word is horizo, but it's, it's where we get the word horizon. And what does that mean? Horizon is where heaven and earth meet. Yesterday I was sitting and I was looking into the water and I was looking as far as I can look. And as far as I can look, I see an invisible line. And through that invisible line, you see the blue of the sky, the light blue, and the dark blue of the water. But as you look out and you look out and you look out, you cannot differentiate between which is which. They just look as if they're one. That's what a horizon is. It's where heaven and earth meet. That's what Jesus is. He's God's horizon. He's where heaven and earth meet. Fully God, fully man. So in, in, in the old days, it was the temple in Jerusalem where God dwelt. That was where heaven and earth met. Now, we are the living temple, and in Jesus, that's where heaven and earth meet. So, let's continue, because it's going to get better. He talks about the poor eating and being satisfied. God is even good. He talks about the rich, too. Interesting. It says that, and the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. So, he talks about the rich and the poor. The kingdom is the Lord's. He rules over the nations. Then it talks about a, a generation of people that serve him, and through their word, people are born or born again, right? And so what's interesting is this, that the song begins with the most painful words God the Father has ever heard in, his, in all of eternity, which is the breaching and the breaking of him and his son. For us, it's hard to understand that because we have so much relational damage in our lives and in our society. That seems normal. But that's not normal. That's a result of sin. And that leads to death. And that's what Jesus came to destroy by dying. And so you have this song that's prophetic, that's deeply theological, that's, uh, that's, it's, it's not just... David's broken emotions or broken feelings or feeling of disappointment and frustration. And we've all visited there, right? We've all have felt as if, if we look at our circumstances, God is absent. Well, what about this, Lord? Where, you know, and, and we all have those, if we're honest with ourselves, right? We all have moments in our life where like, where were you? And, and, it, and it hurts. And it's not easy. And so this song goes from the lowest place possible, completely forsaken, utterly forsaken, completely innocent, stretched out, bones visible. The suffering that Jesus endured for us is something that we should get in our minds and never forget it. Because we deserved it and he took it. And until we understand and have a revelation of his sacrifice, we will not produce Christians that live sacrificially. We will produce convenient Christians who want everything on a silver platter for them and want everything fast, everything easy. Until the understanding and the revelation comes to us about Jesus' sacrificial life and death, we will not produce sacrificial people. That's a fact. You produce what you preach. 
And so what happens here is it goes from the lowest of the lowest of the lowest, the worst, the deepest and most painful words God the Father has ever heard. The, the theologians call that the cry of dereliction, which is immeasurable pain. Even the father, the father even knows the pain of what is it to bury a child, which is the worst pain on this earth. So the father is familiar with that pain. There's nothing that God can't identify with. And so you go from that low place, that real bad place, to this place of you have answered me. And I'll declare your name. And so the man on the cross is now the man on the throne. The man who was ripped apart is the man who holds all things together. You see? And I I want to encourage you that whatever you may be going through, there's an answer. Yes. 